kind of important again. Whenever we come to God's word, can I suggest the first thing in your mind is as we prepare ourselves to receive the word of God is to say, Lord, would you speak to me and show me what you would want me to do as a result of your word in my life? If we come with that attitude, I believe you will see and sense God speak clearly to you. By the way, before we get into the uh, message this morning, I hope you both realize that both of our notices were focused around which of the purposes of our church? Evangelism. We want to give you opportunities to engage in one of the purposes that God created you for. And this is some training. If you... One of the, actually, can you just flick back to, sorry, sorry um, Daniel, I didn't ask you that, that quote from my friend Frank Turek, which is back, just a couple, uh, one down. Here he is. This is my friend Frank. He said, if Christians, it needs to go left somehow, I'm not sh- quite sure, continue to rely on emotion, it's vanished. <laughs> okay. If you continue to rely on emotion and ignore evidence, they will continue to lose their children to secularism. That is a powerful, and I 100% believe that. Our faith is not founded on emotion, friends. It is founded on fact. Evidentialism. The trouble is, when our kids ask us hard questions, this is typically what we do. Well, here's a good book. Go read that. Can I tell you, grandma and grandpa, mum and dad, your kids will probably never read that book. They want to know what you think what you think, which has an onus on us to equip ourselves. Never a truer statement. Okay, let's roll. If you've got your notes, I'd like to take out your outline. Today we're in part three of living for Christ. Not for ourselves, not for our desires, not for other people, but living for Christ and Christ alone. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever watched a marathon? You may not have. It could be too boring. Okay? For some of you, too boring, right? Have you ever watched a triathlon or the Tour de France? Huh? The point is, if you've ever watched a competitive race like that, many, many people line up on the start line. But I've noticed this. The crowd thins out because many people don't make it to the finish line. And I think that's got a tremendous parallel. Next slide, mate. Check. Starting out, many people don't make it to the next slide, which is the finish line. I want you, every one of you, and everyone listening to this, to make it to the finish line, not just with your tongues hanging out, but make it well. That's my goal. That's God's desire for you. So when you start strongly, all pumped up, all hydrated in the Christian life, but somewhere along the line, they get sidetracked. Jesus talked about this. He talked about people being sidetracked by the cares of this world, the worries of this world. They get caught up in other passions, things that have grabbed their heart. They get caught up in other pursuits. And therefore, they run out of enthusiasm and energy to pursue the number one goal that God made them for. And that is the kingdom of God and his purposes. 
That is the number one thing you've been made for. But if we give our hearts to something else, you'll have split loyalties. You'll have two visions. You'll have division. And it will dilute your energy and your focus. And again, you'll run out of enthusiasm for pursuing God's kingdom being number one. Now, we give up when that happens because we get discouraged And discouragement is a deadly disease, I've noticed, because it saps your energy and it blurs your focus. So you're not quite clear about where you're running towards. And it also, discouragement distorts reality. Reality is how God sees things, the truth of how things really are. So one of my goals is to help you to finish the race that God has called you, not to drop out, not to run out because you're out of energy, and not just to finish, but again, to finish well. So today, the title of my message is How to Maintain Your Spiritual Strength So That You Finish the Race Well. Everybody starts, few finish well, and few finish period. So how do you do that? Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to pull them out. And this is what Paul says. He says, your strength, stickability, perseverance, resilience comes from your own grit. No. It says it comes from the Lord's mighty power within you. So put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand against all the strategies and tricks of Satan. He is the enemy of your soul and he will use every bit of discouragement and diffuse focus that he can. If he can't get you to sin, he'll keep you ridiculously busy so you're completely distracted and you never finish at the correct goal line. You finish at the wrong end of the race. So today I want us to look at three particular things which I've noticed will weaken our spiritual lives. And I want to draw these lessons from somebody who had it all but blew it along the way. So we can learn. These things are given to us so we can learn as an example of what to do and what not to do. Samson, in Judges 13 through 16, he did three things which fatally hobbled his life, but he also, we can learn three lessons of what not to do from his his life to make sure that we end strong. The Bible says Samson was the strongest man in the Bible, physically. He was strong physically, but he was spiritually, he was very weak. He had every single thing going for him. He had good looks, and he had strength, lots of testosterone. He had God's blessing on his family and his own life. I mean, man, what else could you want? He had a good home life. Things were good in his home. But along the way, this guy that started out with everything going for him got sidetracked big time. We look at three things that nearly shipwrecked his life. 
Why are we looking at those? See, it's smart to learn from your own mistakes. Don't keep making the same mistake over and over, right? Even smarter to learn from the mistakes of other people. As I said many times in this church, it's not as expensive and it's not as painful. I like that. That's why I have lots of friends and I ask lots of questions because I want to learn from what others have done that didn't work. Now, if you learn to handle these three things, you will maintain your strength to the end of the race. Get it? Good. Three. Just three. Not 16. Three. Number one. Self-indulgence will weaken your life. Self-indulgence. Now, I'm talking here about an undisciplined lifestyle. You see, you cannot be a disciple and be undisciplined. You may want to write that down. It is impossible to be a disciple without being disciplined. No such thing as an undisciplined disciple. An undisciplined lifestyle lives by desires and how I feel today and right now. Don't feel like that right now. Don't feel like doing that. Don't feel like addressing that. See, here's a subtle thing which many don't realize. Even good things, good things, gifts from God can be harmful to our spiritual lives if they are not controlled. For example, God gives us the gift of food. Yum, I like food. I especially like burger burgers. <laughs> I think they're great. But if I don't control it, I'll be looking like a burger burger. <laughs> and that's not what I want. God gives us the blessing of money. But if it's not controlled, it turns into materialism, that desire for money. God gives a, gives a beautiful gift of sex. That is God's. It is pure and holy from God, but the devil corrupts it. And we end up with our immorality. See, what sin is, is it takes a beautiful gift of God, whatever it may be, and then it corrupts it. That's what sin is. It corrupts. It's a corruption of something good. It's privation of something good. See, sleep is a gift of God. God gives his beloved sleep. But too much of it, the Bible talks about being a sluggard. I love that word, sluggard. <laughs> Doesn't it sound very sluggish and lethargic? See, work is a good thing. But if you overextend it, you become a workaholic. And it will destroy you and your relationships around you. Now, all of those things I've just mentioned quickly are gifts from God, but they can be misused, and if they're out of control, they will definitely damage your life. Now, Samson's weakness, nothing wrong with these things, but Samson's weakness was women. He had three of them in three chapters. Three different women. Let's pick it up here. From Judges chapter 14, I'm reading from verse 1. Then Samson went down to Timnah, and he saw, you might want to circle that word, saw. It all starts with what you look at, mate. Be careful what you look at. And he saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. So he came back, and he told his father and mother, I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. 
Then his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all of our people that you may go and take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? In other words, why are you taking even thinking about getting a wife? That's an unbeliever in Jehovah. But Samson said to his father, Get her for me. Here it is again, third time in this little thing. For she looks good to me. Buckley translation is that is, I saw and she's a cracker. <laughs> Here's Samson's first mistake. Don't make decisions on pleasure rather than God's principles. Don't do that. Don't make decisions based on pleasure rather than God's principles. The two are often diametrically opposed. Lest we fall into self-indulgence. See, when we do the attractive thing, the convenient thing, it's not necessarily the right thing. Good principle to lay down as a foundation. The fact is that God had said, already told them, don't do it. And the Bible says, to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. He knew he shouldn't be doing that. So number one, God had told him. Number two, his parents had warned him. And actually, this is even more shocking, he'd actually made a vow to himself, I will never do such a thing. I'm not going to marry an unbeliever. He says that. And by the way, scriptures say that today. Do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Christian, do not marry an unbeliever. Period. That's been true a thousand years ago, and the same truth is true today. That is God's will. I don't know what God's will is. That is one thing right there. He says, do not do that. Doesn't matter how you feel. Act on God's principles. Don't be unequally yoked. But when Samson sees this woman, his godly convictions conveniently hop out the window. And he ignores God's plans and he follows his glands. And it's a bad mistake. Look what he says here. He says, don't be misled. This is what God says. Remember, you can't ignore God and get away with it. A man will always reap just what kind of crop he sows. If he sows to his own desire, own desire, he will be planting seeds of evil and will surely, this surely, reap a harvest of, here it is, spiritual decay. Now, I don't know any Christian who wants to reap a harvest of spiritual decay. But if you follow your own desires, there the scripture tells you that's exactly what's going to happen. Clear. I love the scriptures. They are, their perspicuity or their clarity is unparalleled. And we'll surely reap a harvest of spiritual decay, which is exactly what, the opposite of what we want. And, oh, by the way, death. Separation from God. So let's say for a moment that we're out there in the middle of 32 k's off, I don't know, Coromandel. Miles away in one of those rubber dinghies that my dear son-in-law has got. 
And uh, my mate Tim says, hey, Ian, I think we're going to leak. I don't want you to worry about it, but we're going to leak. It's not a big leak, but we're going to leak. Here, friends, here's the deal. The fact is, a leak is a leak. And it's going to take a tremendous amount of energy to keep that leak from destroying you. Sometimes we delude ourselves by reasoning. Well, I've got a leak. Yeah, but it's only a very small leak, and it's only in this part of my life that not a lot of people know about. Friends, that leak will sink your boat unless you attend to it. Anything that is out of control will eventually sink your ship. And nobody wants that. The scriptures exhort us. Self-indulgence has consequences. Here's my point. To maintain spiritual strength, I must, must discipline my desires. That's the point. If you don't want to have spiritual decay, you need to focus and discipline my spiritual desires. That's the lesson. And this first point. First Peter chapter 4, verse 1 and 2 says this. Strengthen yourselves. This is what this is about. Strengthen yourselves with what? With home and garden. Or vanity fear. No. Strengthen yourself with Christ's way of thinking. Live your lives controlled by what? God's will, not by human desires. That's clear. Christ didn't send us into this world as vacationers on a self-guided tour of a playground. But he sent us into this world as soldiers on a tour of duty in a battlefield. Fact. So we're not called to kick back, chill out, relax, and take in the scenery on a very short pilgrimage down here, waiting for our guide to take us back home. We're actually called to engage, get off the seats, and into the game, into the battle, which is in fierce conflict. And we're on foreign soil, so expect to get shot at. Expect it. So we need to arm ourselves, back to the other verse, remember, with spiritual armor to withstand the assaults of the enemy and the temptations of this world. Now, just because, think about this word desires, just because you want something doesn't make it right, that you should have it. Just because you can afford something, does it mean you should buy it? Of course not. Just because everybody else is doing it, it doesn't mean you should at all. In fact, going along with the crowd is usually a recipe for disaster. And by the way, that's in spiritual life, financial life, relational life. Parents, you need to set the examples And why do I say that? Because I have a concern that across the board, we're typically, and I have a concern that we may be raising some self-indulgent kids. Because it's easy to not follow Christ's way of thinking, controlled by the Spirit, and instead just live by human desires. And that sets an example to our kids and to our grandkids. An example of that will be, well... 
you know, if I can afford this, you know, I should get it. Whether I really need it or not. Again, my point is this. Self-indulgence will weaken your spiritual life because it'll sap strength and sap focus. But to maintain spiritual strength, again, finally, I must just discipline my desires. Number two, the second thing which will impede us and sap our strength and, and be a drag on us is resentment. Resentment will weaken your spiritual life. In fact, it'll knock some of you out of the race unless you let it go. See, Samson lived a life in almost a constant state, low-grade rage. His primary motivation in his life, at this particular stage of his life, is, I'm going to get revenge. In one of the stories, he, he actually killed 30 men just to get even on a bet. Now, the Bible actually, there's a whole other subject, but the Bible says, don't hang around with angry men. Actually, thinking about that, I've never heard about an angry woman in the scriptures, but I'm sure there are. <laughs> but the point is, don't hang around with angry people. Not a good move. Judges 15.3. Samson said to them, this time I have a right. He's fighting words. To get even with the Philistines, and I'll really harm them. Verse 7. Since you've acted like this, I won't stop until I get my revenge. Verse 11, here's the attitude. I merely did what they did to me. His excuse was simply this. They hurt me first, so I'm going to hurt them more. Now, giving into that kind of thinking will weaken you, and it will consume and sap your spiritual strength. So the first mistake is when you make decisions based on pleasure rather than principles. That was the first point we talked about. The second mistake that will drain your spiritual energy out of your life is when you react rather than act. When you react rather than act towards the circumstances in your life. And Samson here was reacting out of resentment. And resentment is always self-defeating. Job 5.2 uh, says, To worry yourself to death with resentment would be a foolish and senseless thing to do. Let's apply that verse to our lives. Anytime we're acting with resentment, we are being foolish and senseless according to who? God. He says, I'm the one that will sort the justice out. Leave that with me. Leave, I can do a much better job. I have all of the facts. Leave the justice for me to so that I will judge righteously. You and I don't very often. Resentment doesn't make sense. Again, a little further on in Job 18.4, you're only hurting yourself with your anger. So resentment is a waste. It's waste because... You're always caught up in the past. You're thinking about the past. What happened back there? And you're resentful, uh, resentful and angry. It's wasting your energy. It's diffusing your focus. And it's distorting reality. And it'll drain you emotionally. Now, Samson did have a creative flair. That's probably the wrong thing to say here. 
<laughs> it says he went out and he caught 300 pairs of oxes and he tied them tail to tail in pairs. And he stuck a torch in, on their, uh, um, between their tails and he set them off. And they went running through the vineyards and through the grain of the Philistines. And you can imagine, how are you going to catch all those foxes? Man, they burnt the place to the ground. And the result was he burnt the grain together with the vineyards and the olive groves. Proverbs twenty-two twenty-nine says, a hot-tempered man always gets into trouble. So not only do we live in a self-indulgent culture that says, if it feels good, I'll just do it. But we live in an angry culture that says, I'm going to get even whenever I get the chance. But God's word to both of those, says wrong. That's the exact opposite of what God's word says. The Bible says in Proverbs 21, 29, 11, a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man, this is the, con the contraposition, keeps himself under control. That's congruent with the Holy Spirit fruit of self-control. God saves us from the penalty of sin. And then he's working on us, that's called justification. And then he's working on us right now, one on earth, in this area of the second stage of salvation, which is sanctification, which he is addressing our attitudes and our actions. He's making us more like Christ. Making us more like Christ. Sanctification, justification, sanctification, and ultimately, glorification. When we'll be delivered from the presence of sin. Delivered from the penalty of sin. Delivered from the power of sin. Delivered from the presence of sin. Three stages of salvation. Right now, he is speaking to some of you about self-control. Self-control with your mouth, with your attitudes. A fool gives full vent to his anger. But a wise man... Keeps himself under control. So the lesson here is to maintain my spiritual strength, I must restrain my reactions. Restrain them. And the Holy Spirit will prompt you to do that. Now you can choose at that point to either blow up or restrain. But the Holy Spirit will give you the power if you turn to him. So you only have a certain amount of energy. So you might as well use it the right way. So you restrain your actions. You don't waste energy on resentment. It'll drain spiritual strength. So number one, the first problem was self-indulgence. It'll weaken your life. The second problem was resentment. That'll weaken your life. And the third area which will weaken your life is carelessness. Carelessness. Listen to that word, careless. I don't care less. I care less about God and I care about this carelessness see when we're careless what happens when we're careless about our health it weakens us right what happens when we're careless about our money oh it weakens us all right you're destitute what happens when we're careless with our time we waste our life lord teach me to number my days that i may present to you a heart of wisdom, a life well spent. Not chasing second or third or fourth class causes. Seek first. 
when we're careless with our words. Oh, does that ever get you in trouble? <laughs> yeah? The Bible says here in Proverbs 18.20, you'll have to live with the consequences of everything that you say. Also, when we're careless with our commitments, this is a big one. When we are careless with our commitments, it weakens us. Do you ever promise to do something and then you don't do it? Every time you break a commitment, it is weakening your spiritual life. Now, by the way, Samson initially made some fantastic commitments to God. The Bible tells us that early in his life, he took a, a vow. It was called a Nazarite vow. And that vow said basically this, Father, I belong 100% to you. That's what it meant. Therefore, I'm going to dedicate my time, my energy, and my efforts to your kingdom and your work. That's what it meant. And then he did three things that made him different. If you're going to be a Christian, you're going to have to get used to that word, different. That made him different from everybody else. In this particular case, this is not for everybody, but this is exemplary. First thing he did, it was no alcohol for him. For this guy, Nazarite vow, no alcohol. Samson never drank any alcohol in his entire life. Number two, he had a special diet. That's what the scriptures record. And that was very different from the rest of the people around him, what they were eating and indulging in. And the third thing in this Nazarite vow, the scriptures record, he never cut his hair. And it was a daily reminder to God. Nothing was sacred about the long hair, but what it was, it was a daily reminder to himself that he had made a commitment to God. A daily reminder. You imagine washing that bunch of locks every day. And by the way, that commitment was a source of his strength. Likewise, to maintain my spiritual strength, I need to keep my commitments. You're only as strong as what you're committed to. But over time, here comes the point. Sadly, Samson was careless with his commitments. He compromised his convictions for convenience sake. Let me just say that again. He compromised what he knew to be true, his convictions, because it was convenient. And then he started to toy with temptation. And his goal really, and you may have even thought this yourself, well, how can I go, how close can I get to the fire without getting burnt? How close can I do? But I want to remind you that in 1 Thessalonians 5.22, the scriptures clearly say, avoid even the appearance of evil. Don't even go anywhere near it. Some people, you know, if there's a cliff down there and this is a road, they, they want to get as close to the possible without falling off. Uh-uh, that's really stupid. Get as far away from it as possible. Avoid even the appearance of evil. The best example of Samson's carelessness is coming up in his relationship with Delilah, the last of the three women. In chapter 16, if you want to find it, Delilah's third woman in just three chapters. But this one, of course, is the right one. 
All the other ones were too, but somehow this one went down to number three. This one's the right one. Then the enemies of Samson, the Philistines, found out that Delilah, who was one of theirs, was his girlfriend. So they offered him 25 grand, offered the 25 grand in today's money. Find out his secret. We can't, you know what? I guarantee you this guy did not look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's probably some skinny guy. And the reason for that, they couldn't figure out how, how the heck is he so strong? There's something that doesn't connect here. How come this joker is whooping us all? There was something unusual. We know what it was. So every night, Delilah would woo Samson into trying to tell her the secret of his strength. And of course, Samson, oh, I like this game. I'll just play along with this. I'm not going to tell her, but I'll just play along. First time he said, tell you what, I'll tell you the secret of my strength. Tie me up with seven bow strings, like from a bow and arrow. And the next war, uh, and then I'll be as weak as anybody else. The next morning he wakes up with seven bowstrings wrapped around him. Huh. And strange men in his house. And his wife says, wake up, wake up, Samson. And he pops the strings, beats up these guys, and tosses them out the door. Now, at about that stage, I'd be getting highly suspicious of this bird, Delilah, wouldn't you? Far out. Next night, she says to him, Samson, tell me, what's the real secret of your strength? And he says, ah, oh, well, you know, it's new ropes. New ropes are the one going to get me. So he goes to sleep that night. Next morning, surprise, he's tied up with brand new ropes. And there are men again in his room. He gets out, busts the ropes, knocks them out, throws them out the door. Now, you would figure by now that something is really going on here, wouldn't you? You know, I think Samson's elevator wasn't going all the way to the top. He had more brawns than brains. Far out. Third night, Sammy baby. Stop. Whenever a woman is complimenting on your strength, be careful. <laughs> you are never weaker than the right them. She says, Sammy, you're making a fool of me. And they might take the 25 grand back, so hurry up and tell me. <laughs> he says, now notice what he says. If you braid my hair, then I'll lose my strength. Notice he is getting closer to the truth. And he's foolish, you're thinking. I can handle this. Some of you are there today. You're thinking you can handle it. Don't. Be careful with your commitments. Do not be careless with your commitments. Have you ever heard that line, oh, I've got it all under control. It's my life. I know how far I can go and no further. He is being careless with his commitments. So he again, he wakes up, his hair is braided, and he still has his strength. So he gets up, bloodies a few more noses, and tosses them out. But he was careless once too often. He kept playing with what he knew he shouldn't be playing with. He knew this. And finally, his lifestyle of self-indulgence, remember, as we saw in the first part, Secondly, 
his resentment, hatred against the Philistines, and thirdly, his carelessness all caught up with him. And it weakened him, and he gave in. 16 verse 15 in Judges. Then she said to him, how can you say that you love, I love you, when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me, and you haven't told me the secret of your great strength. Notice this next verse. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. Verse 17 is a very, very sad verse. And so he told her everything. What a tragic phrase. He told her everything. He finally gave in, lock, stock, and bow. Friends, we have seen dozens and dozens and dozens of leaders, so-called leaders, fall through scandals. They've been banking scandals, ANZ, and real estate scandals, and sex scandals, you name it. Leaders in government, leaders in business, leaders in politics, even leaders in ministry and Christians who start off well. You look at kind of that thing and say, well, how in the world is that even possible? How does that happen, folks? Folks who start off really well at that finish line, you think there's so much promise at the start line, and then they throw it all away. How is that possible? I'll tell you exactly how that happens. They were careless. They couldn't care less. They cared less about what God said and cared more about what their glands and their desires felt like. Even some Christians failed to take their commitments to God seriously. But friends, notice this. It does not happen all overnight. Doesn't happen all at once. Nobody falls off the cliff overnight. Well, not many that I know of. It starts with little slippages and a little carelessness here and a failure to keep basic habits and commitments like reading God's Word daily. Like sharing your faith. Like gathering with the family of God. We sang a song at the beginning today about how God created in the beginning paradise in the beginning. Then paradise was lost. But that song also says, don't forget, guys, paradise will be recreated, regained. We're on a journey. A failure to keep basic habits, like serving his purposes, keeping them up front and center in our mind, and not being, letting the cares and the worries of this world overshadow and dominate the real estate of our minds and remembering to do the things that will really count for eternity. So the lesson I'll learn here again to underline this, to maintain my spiritual strength, I must keep my commitments even when I don't feel like keeping my commitments. That, my friends, right there is a mark of maturity. That right there, that's in your marriage. That's in your budget and your finance. That's in your commitment to keep Jesus as number one in his kingdom. 
priorities foremost. That's a mark of maturity. So I must keep my commitments to who? To God, firstly. Secondly, to my mate. The word vow means vow. It's not broken. To my children. Keep my commitments. Be careful what you do commit to your children because some of you want to please your children so much so you use the word promise. Use that very, very sparingly, if at all. Keep your commitments to your employer, to your employees, to all that you're accountable to. Your yes is yes and your no is no. Anything more than that, the scriptures say is evil. The Bible describes a person of godly character. It says in Psalm 15 verse 4, a man of godly character, a woman of godly character, always does what they promise, no matter how much it costs. So be careful what you promise. There's an old saying, a chain is only as strong as its weakest link, right? And you and I are only as strong as our weakest commitment. Choose your commitments carefully. So what are you committed to? You're as strong as what you're committed to. So what happened to Samson? Well, Samson's life was a downhill tragedy in 621, it says here. Then the Philistines seized him. This is ugly. But they used to do this and gorged out his eyes, offering him like a spoon. And then they took him down to Gaza. You know where that is? Down the bottom part of Israel there, which is still there today, near Gath. And they bind, binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grind in the prison. And let me tell you, I'm not so sure that they let him, because all his strength's gone now. I'm not sure that they bought the fact that he couldn't work harder. Ironically, it was in Gaza that Samson had earlier demonstrated his great strength right there in that city by uprooting the city gates. You'll find that in chapter 16, verse 1 through 3. Now, in exactly the same place, he's an example of weakness. See, without the Lord's strength, it's the Lord who gives us the strength. The champion in that place has now become the clown. People made fun of him. The, the, the superstar had hit the skids. You can't get much lower than this. Now, although God didn't completely abandon Samson, he allowed Samson's decision to stand and the consequences of his decision followed naturally. They always will. We are free to make our own decisions. We are not free of the consequences of those. God is not mocked. We may choose to be close to God or to go our own way. But there are consequences that will result from our own choices. Now, Samson, let me tell you, did not choose to be captured but he did choose to be with Delilah. And he couldn't escape the consequences of his own decision. Now, friends, it will be an absolute tragedy if the story finished right there. But the Bible tells us that in prison, this is the good part, when he was in pain, when he was probably mulling over the stupidity of how he got from there to here, the Bible tells us he had a change of heart. Oh, boy, that's a good thing. And he said, all right, God, I'm going to finally get serious with you again. I'm going to quit playing around. Huh? 
and he recommitted his life to God. And the Bible says God gave him a second chance. That's good news. God is a God of the second chances. And if you know the rest of the story, the last days of Samson's life were his greatest victory. When he got serious about his commitments, what are they? And he is actually now listed in Hebrews 11 as one in God's hall of fame as one of those who had great faith. So, who's who? So what's the weak link in your life? Is it self-indulgence? Let's look at those three that we looked at today. Do you find yourself just saying, well, just this once? I can handle this. It's no big deal. I can do those things. I can watch those movies or whatever they may be or read those things or eat those kinds of things and uh, it won't affect me. Or do you say, no, for me, I can, I can skip my daily t- quiet time with God and not read his word and, or ignore or give a pass to prayer or I can fudge on the fellowship of the saints or the family of God or I can be missing in ministry or I can be distracted from my discipleship or I can worry instead of worship. I'm careless about those things. Where do you think those ideas are coming from? And when you base your decisions on other people's pressure or other people's priorities, or other people's pleasure, or possessions, rather than the principles of God's word, you're going to get in trouble. Or for, you, for another, maybe it's resentment. Is that the weak link in your life? And you're still focusing on those past hurts back there. Or is it carelessness? You've allowed some slippage in your commitment to Christ. Is he still number one? One. There's only one number one. Is he number one? Or maybe you're brought to the lie, well, I'll let it slide and it really won't affect me. And you've been flirting with something that you know is wrong. Perhaps you've been careless about some of your spiritual habits that you know. Because again, to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. That's what the scriptures say. Or the second question I want to ask there is, If you've identified that, what point is your weak point? When are you going to do something about that? Some of you in this room need to get baptized. That will be your next logical step according to the scriptures. Some of you need to join a church family and say, hey, I'm in. Jesus is committed to his bride to the cross, are you? Some of you may have been convicted by the Holy Spirit today that you need to discipline your desires. Some of you have been challenged to restrain your reactions, not to shoot from the lip. Some of you have been challenged to keep your commitments. May God show you what to do as a result of this message. Others of you in this place have felt so convicted you felt that, Lord, I've really messed my life up. Pretty much like Samson, God could never use me. If that's you though, friend, I want to say, I'm glad to say that you will be wrong about that. Notice God never gave up on Samson, even though Samson gave up on God for a season. And he has not given up on you. Notice The playboy ended up being 
a prophet. And he accomplished, when he returned to God, the purposes for his life. So it doesn't matter where you've been in the past. What matters is the direction of your feet this morning. So you come to Christ and you say, Father, I give you my all. I rededicate my life to you. Take my life, remake my life into something beautiful. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I know that there's some people here that you've spoken to dealing with the area of self-indulgence. Maybe it's in an area in their life that may appear small, but it's a leak that could sink their ship. Father, I know there are some here that definitely are struggling with resentment who need to let it go and give that situation to you because you are the perfect judge. And they need to trust you who judges righteously for justice. There are some here that have been careless with their commitments to you, Lord, and they need to get serious and put you in first place. Father, I pray that this church will be filled with people who not only start well in the race, but end up well. I pray for all this church's leadership, and I pray for those here today, help us make the commitments we need to make for your glory and your praise and your honor. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.